Blog Talk Radio. Alliance for Science, 
Uh, yeah. So far, there is little on it, but it does at least list pro-GMO partners of the effort. They include the International Service for the Acquisition of Agri-Biotech Applications, or ISAA, an entity funded by Bayer, Monsanto, and CropLife, which is term, in turn is also funded by biotech and agrochemical companies using BASF, DuPont, Dow, AgroSciences, and Syngenta. Science for sale. This use of surrogate is par for the course of the biotech industry, wrote Tim Schwab of the Food and Water Watch. Sometimes called a soft lobby, corporations routinely engage neutral appearing scientists and impartial sounding front groups to help uh, advance their political and economic agendas. The organization says it has detailed the huge amount of research that has been generated by our public land-grant universities. In a report published in 2012 called Public Research, Private Gain, and Cornell uh, apparently has been a regular generator of science for sale. Earlier this year, a Cornell economist, William Lesser, accepted payment for what Schwab described as a biotech front group in exchange for producing a highly suspect analysis indicating that GMO labeling would be a huge cost for consumers. And while Lesser said that the study contained its, his personal observations rather than those of Cornell, GMO backers nevertheless began to refer to his findings as the Cornell study in their efforts to stave off initiatives by states uh, to force food makers to include uh, labeling of GMO ingredients in their products. At the same time, Schwab noted, independent studies have shown that GMO labeling would not increase food costs by much, if at all. Cornell's latest jaunt into the debate over GMOs, so dubbed the Alliance for Science, will mostly just add to confusion about this issue as well as factual distortions regarding the public debate. Rather than trying to promote a civil, honest, impartial dialogue about GMOs, as you would suspect, uh, except from a university like Cornell, the school has chosen to partner with some of the biotechnology industry's most prominent supporters and defenders, Schwab wrote. What is apparent, judging by the Cornell press release announcing a new pro-GMO initiative, the school said the money, $5.6 million, came in the form of a grant from the Bill Melinda Gates Foundation, which has been notoriously supportive of GMO crops and food. It's all, uh, it's still got more on this, but not too much. Kind of killer stuff. Yeah, the genetics is their is their key. We need open, honest debate, not bought and paid for propaganda. Well, proponents and opponents like uh, like speculate whether biotech crops are a benefit to farmers, but rarely are those farmers engaged in the biotech discourse of their voices heard. Said Sarah Evanega senior associate director of international programs in Cornell's College of Agricultural West Sciences, who will lead the project next season. So our goal is to depolarize the GMO debate and engage with potential partners who may uh, share common values around poverty reduction and sustainable agriculture, who may not be well informed about the potential biotechnology as for solving major agricultural challenges. Um, Ebeniga continued, for instance, Biotech activists share a lot of same anti-pesticide, low-input, sustainable agricultural visions as the organic movement. Uh, regarding Gates as Food and Water Watch notes, the philanthropy has partnered with bi uh, biotech firms to develop GM crops for Africa, though African nations either don't want them or don't need them because their organic food production is sufficient for their needs. At a juncture when Americans really need a clear and open and honest discussion about GMO foods and GM crops, here comes one of the nation's top academic institutions taking money from the world's richest man to muddy the waters of the debate over one of the seminal food issues of our day. So, screw Cornell. They're nothing but traitors. Nothing but traitors. They'll do anything for a dollar. about this virus all over the United States. Mm. But what you're not hearing about is in Kansas, the 
facility, about 450 children were recently uh, treated at one facility. For that? Children in Mercy Hospital. At least 60 of them admitted to were admitted to intensive care. And according to CNN Health, possible outbreaks have also been reported in Colorado, Illinois, and Ohio. Children's Mercy Hospital Division Director for Infectious Diseases, Anderson, said the problem was big and unprecedented. Huh. So, yeah, it's going to be. I wonder why it's targeting children. Well, they don't know. I, I don't think they really know. Uh, just because they're weak, you know. They're weaker, their lungs are not as. as, as uh, well, they don't know where it came from. Probably a biotech yeah, thing that's sprayed over cities, you know, it's like Kansas City, you know, more than likely. I wondered about that. Yeah, I wouldn't doubt it. I mean, they'll do anything to get nasty, but the U.S. is such a, they've been doing it for years over people. Guinea i practiced for 30 years in pediatrics, and I've never seen anything quite like this, Dr. Jackson told CNN. We've had to mobilize other providers, doctors, nurses, and state. They could call it unprecedented. It's uh, worse in terms of the scope of critically ill children who require intensive care. Dr. Jackson said the problem started around when school went back uh, on August 17th and peaked between August 21st and 30th. Excuse me. The Center for Disease Control and Prevention says that some 19 of the cases in city Kansas City tested positive for enterovirus D68 or EVD68 or D68 or EVD68. Typically, Typically it causes only mild asthma-like symptoms, but can be more severe in some cases. However, there is no specific treatment for an EVD68 infection, which is almost exclusively associated with respiratory disease. Ventilation appears to be the best way to assess patients with the infection. There is also no available vaccine. There is currently no data for any deaths related to EVD68 infection in the United States. Well, that's good. But kids get pretty sick, I guess. Yeah. And, um, the full scope uh, is yet to be known, but uh, it would appear it's in the Midwest, Dr. Jackson said. In our community in Kansas City, meticulous hand washing is not happening. It's just the nature of kids. Worst I've seen. Symptoms include fever, body and muscle aches, sneezing, coughing, and rash, CNN reported. Rocky Mountain Hospital in Denver reported the children in their intensive care unit and 20 more patients in the pediatric unit. Will come... Kamahal, 13, was among the children in intensive care after he came down with cold last weekend. His mother, Jennifer Kamahal, said her son took a turn to the worst on Tuesday, struggling to to breathe. She fears the I can't. There's no more. She fears the. What she fear? She feared. Uh, she feared the worst. It was like nothing we've ever seen. Uh, we, he was unresponsive, he couldn't speak to me, he was turning white, his lips turning blue. Will need, well, Will needed a breathing apparatus for 24 hours. Nationwide Children's Hospital in East Columbus, Ohio, reported a 20% increase in patients with respiratory illness last weekend. They are testing to see whether the cases are EVD68. Hannibal Regional Hospital in Hannibal, Missouri, said on Facebook they were death. They were, de- oh, they were dealt with recent outbreaks of infections in Missouri and Illinois. Blessing Hospital in Quincy, Illinois, saw more than 70 children with respiratory issues last weekend. Um, the interesting thing I wanted to there's a little uh, there's a little there's a video here on how to some prevention stuff. Some, yeah, prevent stuff. Well, certainly washing your hands is very important. Yeah, that, that washing any toys and uh, utensils and don't share things. 
things like that and make sure kids are not sharing straws or forks or spoons yeah. or food, that kind of thing.
of what six weeks of wall-to-wall media coverage can achieve in terms of transforming public opinion. In this case, the objective is a green light to reignite the war on terror and to rebrand Washington's La Femme Terrible from Al-Qaeda to ISIS. Beyond the media blitzkrieg, however, we all, all we really have are two edited propaganda videos, which were uploaded by, to YouTube by an unknown individual or individual. Together, the U.S. government and the U.S. corporate media have done about 95% of the job of propelling these propaganda videos across all major global media platforms and giving ISIS probably its biggest PR bump since it went public. How can doctored digital videos be considered evidence? That's a good question. If these two cases were murder cases in any police department in the world, both would still be open cases. In these cases, all we have is no body, no way to determine any time of death, no way to determine cause of death, no actual death depicted on camera, no murder weapon, no way to determine who the murderer might be, and no way to determine the location of the murder. Nothing at all. Yes, when you strip all the politics and sensationalism away, it's still an open case. On top of this, various aspects of the videos were in fact been staged. In addition, We'll prove that these videos are heavily edited and contain separate audio tracks. Then staying in the realm of facts and forensics, there's no way to prove who the jihadist in the video is, even if ISIS created these videos. The Stephen Sotloff beheading video is a curious production which deserves some analysis. The mainstream media and political war hawks have been unable to provide any intelligent analysis. As mentioned earlier, the James Foley video does not actually show a beheading. It shows a masked jihadist with a small penknife beginning to carry out what appeared to be a throat slash, but the video inconveniently cuts to a still photo, a gruesome image to be sure, allegedly depicting Foley's head resting on his corpse. Again, as it's a digital video, there's absolutely no way to confirm exactly what we are seeing, leaving the audience to assume what the video's creator had assembled for the audience is exactly what has transpired. To date, no mainstream broadcast outlet or politician has bothered to question the surreal productions or their narratives. Both the U.S. and U.K. governments seem 100% satisfied with the authenticity of the videos from day one. What exactly authenticity means in the context of a heavily edited ISIS propaganda production is difficult to determine. But like all things terror, the public are told to take the government's word for it and question nothing. This article goes on uh, quite, a, quite, a, quite a long way. Made, said, I, I recommend uh, you go to it. Uh, oh, I think so, too. What's it called? Where, where is it? It's, uh, where is it? it's a special reward, 21st Century Wire, yeah. uh, September 9th, 2014. Um, here's a, something that might be of interest to you. Verizon, AT&T, and Comcast won't provide towns in rural America with high-speed Internet. Uh, because it isn't profitable. So small cities and towns decided to provide it themselves by creating community networks. Now the Internet giants are lobbying Congress to make community networks illegal. All right? Can you so that people, so yeah. people don't get any internet. No, I mean, if lots of towns... If you can't pay for it, you can't have it, folks. No, lots of towns just won't give it, you know? <laughs> it's amazing. Comcast Revolve, a friend of ours, uh, Bertie Willett, uh, there's a Comcast revolving door to the federal government commission. It's 18 Comcast lobbyists have been federal employees. Twelve are currently registered lobbyists. Five work specifically for the FCC, which is supposed to regulate Comcast, including one <laughs> former chairman of the FCC. Imagine that. Yeah. They, they got it all sewed up. I know. They just got it all sewed up. It's just so 
damn aggravating because here's something that uh, here's something I really enjoyed a friend of mine, Steve, sent it over and he says uh, uh, it's a picture of Frank Zappa and he said Zappa says modern Americans behave as if intelligence were some sort of hideous deformity <laughs> it's true it's so true that is so true. I didn't get a chance. I don't think I got a chance to read this last week. Um, I wanted to. I posted it. I posted September second. Um, but I don't think I read it. Um, it. Uh, this, I, I'm not sure. Did, did I read this last week about the uh, Galloway being beaten? No. I probably was really you told me about it. Yeah, I don't think we read it on the show. No. I wanted to, but um, it was really disgusting. I give a little uh, background on him yeah, for people that well, don't know. Galloway is a uh, is uh, a member of Parliament. Okay, very very outspoken British member of Parliament uh, against uh, Israel. Okay, and Zionism and their and their and. Um, and the attack on Gaza, right? And he talks about this constantly and, and, and brings it up. And he also uh, uh, has a program on uh, Russian television, our TV, which is, you know, uh, internet station, uh, uh, rt.com. But uh, the the interesting thing was, is last, uh, last week, I believe, or a week or so ago, he... Uh, and he gave a he gave a, an interview here, uh, which I thought was very very interesting. And he says uh, in his first TV interview after release from the hospital, British MP George Galloway told RT he is surprised by the lack of condemnation from other UK UK politicians of the brutal attack on him. The assault by a pro-Israeli man left Galloway in so much pain. Galloway, 60, was brutally beaten in Notting Hill, London, last Friday, allegedly for his views on the conflict in Gaza. He says, It's very painful to walk, to move, even to speak, because I sustained a dislocated jaw, quite bad head injuries, and very badly cracked ribs, he said. He said the attack occurred during broad daylight when he was in the street around, uh, I don't know, 9.30. Unlikely uh, for me, unluckily, unlucky for me, they weren't, there weren't many people around, though luckily for me, as it turned out, none of my small children were there to witness what happened. He said, I was posing for a picture with two Moroccan gentlemen who have a business in the street. And whilst I was posing for that picture, out of nowhere, dressed in an Israeli Defense Force shirt, complete with logo, came a man charging at me, cursing and swearing and shouting support for Israel and opposition to my views on Israel. Then a torrent of punches and kicks followed, which is admitted in court today, though he has pleaded not guilty to the charge that it was religiously aggravated. Gaza reconstruction will take 20 years, says UN authority, but imagine that. It's going to take 20 years to reconstruct Gaza. They won't even bother. No, they're not. Following the hearing, the case has been passed on to a higher court. In any case, the judge has referred it to much higher court because his sentencing parole was not sufficient. The man has been denied bail, so he will spend some weeks in prison before this matter comes back to court. Galloway um, described the attacker as a pro-Israel fanatic. His Facebook that morning contained the words that he would like to cut my throat. A man who says he'd like to cut your throat and then dresses for the occasion in an Israeli Defense Force t-shirt and ends up on the street near where you live, it's probably a serious intention to do you harm. Mm-hmm. It's unprecedented in recent times. Britain is not really the kind of country where lawmakers, legislators, and MPs are savagely attacked in this way, and certainly not when they are six times elected, 27 years in Parliament, and having just turned 60. Uh, <clears throat> if this can happen to Galway, it can happen to anybody. The incident has largely been ignored by U.K. senior politicians. Peter Osborne, a conservative writer for the Conservative Daily, The Telegraph, asked in in his article on Monday why no senior politicians had condemned the assault on Galloway, the MP noted. It seems very strange. They are always 
telling us how much they hate violence and terrorism, how much they believe in the rule of law and free speech and democracy. But when it came to the attack on me, their lips were sealed. This conservative columnist was making a point which is obvious. If this can happen to Galloway, it can happen to anybody. Yeah. And it says, and it says no weapons for Israel. The shout. Protest group pours fake blood in Belgian airport. Known for his harsh anti-Israeli stance, in early August, Galloway went as far as to uh, declare his constituency an Israeli free zone. The MP urged people not to buy Israeli goods or services and even to reject tourists. Galloway pointed out that he separates the people from the regime. Israel is not to do with Judaism. Many Jews are against that what Israel is doing, and most of the people supporting what Israel is doing are not Jews, he said. The word Jew never crossed my lips, uh, would never cross my lips. I don't have a racist bone in my body, and the Soviet Union was a political construct. Apartheid, South Africa was a political construct. The Zionist apartheid state of Israel is a political construct. It has nothing to do with hating people, still less hating a religion. Mm-hmm. And then he says, Palestinian people have moral, legal, and moral right to resist Israeli occupation. He added, Palestinian resistance has for almost seven years been trying to restore their country to the map. It was wiped off the map, and the Palestinian people scattered to the four corners of the earth. Nobody would accept that. If foreigners come and steal your country, wipe it off the map, and take your house and drive you out, are you going to struggle to return? Maybe, yeah. Yeah, sure. You know, that's what they're doing. They, you know, they won't let them. For obvious reasons. Yeah. Oh, oh let's see. boy. Yeah, isn't it sad? How yeah. about this one? Um, most people can relate to this. Duchess of Cambridge pregnant. TUC leader Francis O'Grady's speech on the class system was cut off by the royal baby news flash. Live television coverage of a speech by Francis O'Grady, General Secretary of the TUC, I'm not sure what the TUC is even, was cut off this morning minutes after she had warned of a return to a Downton Abbey society for a news flash announcing the Duchess of Cambridge is expecting her second child. The second royal pregnancy was deemed to be so important that nothing more was heard of Mrs. O'Grady's speech in which she expanded on her theme that the British class system is being reinvented as the gap between rich and poor widens. Let's see what else is said on that. Well, that's true here, too. The gap between rich and poor is widening in this country as well. People watching the speech on the BBC News Channel heard her say, are we going to settle for a nastier and poorer Britain, a Downton Abbey-style society in which the living standards of the majority of people are sacrificed, protect the high living of the well-to-do? But they missed a bit where she went on to warn against returning to a class system, like the one described in Evelyn Waugh's post-war novel, Brideshead Revisited. After discovering that only half the speech had been covered, a senior TUC official remarked, good luck to the Duchess of of Cambridge, but she would still have been pregnant when Francis finished speaking. It wasn't like the pregnancy was going to go away. They broke right in. Yeah. They didn't want want her to say that. They do that here. They they, they just get really good news, uh, really interesting news, and they break in with some, uh, you know, douchebag. It's really, it's really ridiculous. We hear fast food protesters to be hit with massive job losses when Obama grants amnesty in November. This is a, this was a frightening uh, article, and it was by a, a naturalnews.com. Uh, but uh, if anybody is aware of all the fast, we we spoke about it last week on our show on Wednesday. But there was a, uh, there was protest uh, nationwide by fast food. Uh, 
workers, you know, and union uh, trying to bring, get a union unionized and trying to bring um, their wages to fifteen dollars an hour. Mm-hmm. But what this is a this frightening article states that my heart goes out to all of those fast food workers protesting for higher wages. But it's sad to have to watch them experience a harsh lesson in real world economics that's about to hit home. By taking to the streets and demanding fifteen dollars an hour in wages, fast food workers are unintentionally making themselves economically obsolete. They are, in essence, guaranteeing their own unemployment. Sadly, few of the protesters realize this, nor will they realize they are being fired when the, that day soon comes. I would, I'm sorry, that they are being fired when that day soon arrives. Entry-level fast food workers, after all tend to have relatively little knowledge of how business really works, where money comes from, where money goes, and why no private sector business can stay in business for very long if its operating cost exceeds its income. Fast food workers have a tough life. Getting by on anything less than $10 an hour is almost impossible these days, and the relentless debasement of the U.S. currency by the Federal Reserve, the global banking cartel, has caused mass price inflation across the board. And that's why food food costs more, housing costs more, cars cost more, clothing costs more. Even pursuing an education costs way more than it should these days, too. It is one it is no wonder fast food workers are desperate, okay, to fight for high wages. But the raw truth of the situation is that a fifteen dollar an hour wage mandate would simply cause many fast food companies to close their doors and go out of business. There's very little profit margin in the fast food industry, and businesses can't simply raise their menu prices because low-cost food is the primary reason why people buy fast food in the first place. Amnesty will wipe out low-end jobs for most Americans. But the real kicker here is that President Obama is on the verge of legalizing about 5 million illegal immigrants via executive order. This is apparently supposed to happen after the election, at which point Obama will sign a piece of paper and announce citizenship for 5 million immigrants who are currently in the country illegally. This creates 5 million new legal workers who won't demand $15 an hour. These previously illegal workers have been toiling away at maybe $6 an hour, and they'll be thrilled to take on a legal job at $8 an hour in fast food, especially when they now get some employee benefits as part of a deal. What we are about to witness is a mass wave of worker displacement where newly legalized workers will sweep in and take all the low-paying jobs currently held by the very same American fast food workers who currently believe they can protest in the streets and command $15 an hour. Ain't going to happen, folks, because when... Even if these workers do manage to convince local politicians to pass $15-hour rules, all this does is accelerate the fast food industry's transition to automated robot workers. Yeah, I mean, they get robots willing to uh, also will will replace low-end workers. (laughs) It's amazing. Here's a robot that can prepare 360 hamburgers per hour all by itself. Notably, Notably, this hamburger prepping robot don't, don't belong to any unions. Doesn't complain about working overtime. Never st- smokes weed during his break. Doesn't spit in the customer's food. Doesn't sue its employers on an on-the-job injury. Never protests for higher wages. Doesn't need time off for vacation. Never steals food for the company and doesn't sexually harass the female workers. As a result, from the point of view of the fast food industry, a robot is a perfect worker. Fast food companies to replace human workers with robot workers. Our device isn't meant to make employees more efficient, said Alexandro, um, I can't pronounce his last name, uh, co-founder of the robot manufacturers of Xconomy.com. Um, it's meant to completely uh, obviate them. Workers push for $15 an hour only accelerates the industry's rush to robotic infra- automation. Even if this robot costs ten, a hundred thousand dollars, the return or on investment for a corporation is less than three years. The way out of this for fast food workers is not to demand higher wages, but to pursue a higher education and improve job skills. 
so that their job contributions rise above the capabilities of a robot. There you go. Yep. Now, it's, it's sad, but this is, I mean, this, you know, he's right. He, 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 that's why I, I posted this article. I thought I want to read it because it just, it just so, you know, you want people to get that money. You want them to get a higher wage. Yep. But yet, you know, you know the way the things are. They're going to knock them out. And then, then Obama's going to destroy them all with, with, the, with bringing in five million new, new um, uh, lower wage people. You know, he's going to kill everybody. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, um, we still got about uh, we still got quite some time. Um, I was looking for an audio by. Um, yeah, we got some of that too. I'm going to read this too. Um, it's hard for me to see way over there. I've got. Uh, I wanted to talk about Benghazi, but since we're on food, let me let me just read this, and then we'll go to uh, um, an interesting audio, or actually a video mm -hmm. about uh, the Benghazi attack. Mm -hmm. You know that has been brought up for a long time. It's been on the play. And, uh, turns out Obama. Actually, this is by this is by people the Navy, the, uh, uh, the military guys that went in to say that that, that, that um, what they did is the Navy SEALs. No, they weren't SEALs. I think they were uh, they were military guys that uh, called for help to uh, you know that, that that responded to the help that was, uh, the guys that were being uh, you know attacked in Benghazi and the, and the uh, ambassador. And uh, they and uh, Obama ordered them to stand down and not help those guys. Mm -hmm. And they told them to go shove it. And they all and they all went together. And they went in. And they helped them. And they saved some of the guys, right? And uh, that and they and they explained it on video how they what happened and why. And uh, I want to bring that up. But before I do, there's one one article that I think is critical to talk about because. When you talk about GMO foods, GMO labeling movement, there's a big movement out there in many, many states, and you don't—it's being underplayed and undermined by by the goddamn media and and the GMO companies, you know. Yeah. And you're not hearing about it anymore, even though they they uh, Massachusetts and uh, and uh, New Hampshire and uh, other states around the country have already put through. Uh, uh, GMO labeling uh, laws. Okay, um, you're not. You're, you're, you've got millions of millions and millions and millions of dollars uh, being spent by big food, which has tripled spending this year to stifle the growing GMO labeling movement. It is something that, as an American and consumer, ought to outrage you. Big food companies spending tens of millions of dollars just to keep information from you to prevent you from knowing all that there is to know about a substance or substances that could be harming your health, as well as the overall health of American agricultural industry. As Reuters reportedly recently Big Food, uh, reported recently Big Food, which opposes mandatory labeling of anything manufactured with genetically modified organisms, spent nearly three times what they spent in all of last year in the first six months of this year to keep GMO labeling laws from becoming reality or attacking those that have already been put on the books, like Vermont's GMO labeling law. That, that amounts to $27 million in the first half of, of 2014, all to keep you in the dark. The anti-GMO labeling effort is being echoed by an increasing number of interested parties, but it has been led primarily by the Grocery Manufacturers Association, which has spread millions of dollars around to interested parties, think lawmakers, to kill labeling bills. The GMA has been joined by um, mega corporations and mega biotech firms like Coca-Cola and uh, Pepsi, in a big, in a, as well as Monsanto and DuPont, all of which spent heavily on GMO labeling-related lobbying, according to a report issued by the Environmental Working Group. Uh, the EWG, Environmental Working Group, uh, examined and analyzed uh, disclosure forms from the lobby activities of the anti-GMO labeling groups and companies. In addition to other policies, here is what Reuters reported. 
Coca-Cola spent $4.8 million through the second quarter of this year. PepsiCo uh, spent $2.3 million. DuPont spent $2.4 million, while Monsanto spent $1.8 million, according to the report. You should be upset that someone is trying to prevent you from knowing what's in the food you eat. Uh, I really want to go to I think it's really important that you go that you, that you learn about this. Uh, in all opponents of GMO labeling reported more than fifteen point two million in lobbying expenditures for the second quarter of this year, which brings the six month lobbying expenditure total for all this year to twenty seven point five million. That figure compares to $9.3 million disclosed in lobbying expenses by Big Food and big agrobiotech companies all of last year. Um, EWG, a nonprofit organization based in Washington, D.C., reported EWG supports GMO labels. What is more astonishing than pathetic is the disparity in spending between those trying to keep you informed or uninformed and those groups who are trying to inform you. According to the uh, EWG's analysis, supporters of GMO labeling report just $1.9 million in lobbying expenditures for the first half of the year, a figure that is only slightly more than $1.6 million spent in all of 2013. <clears throat> no doubt the rises in expenditures reflect the fact that a growing number of Americans, through their representatives, Mostly on the state level, have begun pushing for the very same kind of labeling laws for GMO that is required for virtually every other ingredient in food. But there is also interest in the federal level. Anti-GMO labeling forces have spent heavily to support a, a measure introduced by Representative Mike Pompeo from Kansas. His measure, if passed and signed into law, would block states from passing their own legislation requiring GMO labeling. Put out a bunch of mm-hmm. I mean, they already passed a law that refuses that it says you cannot sue Monsanto. You know that? Oh, I do know. Yep. Yeah. But so, what teeth are behind that law? Well, plenty of teeth. They can't. They can't. Uh, they can't sue. Mhm. Nobody can sue. Them. Yeah. No matter how sick Especially you the get. farmers, you know, for cross pollination and stuff like that. Terrible. I'd forgotten that they had passed that, but... Yeah, they passed that uh, a year or two ago, a couple of years ago. The National News reported in May, Vermont became the first state to pass a mandatory GMO labeling measure that does not require any other trigger to become law. But an additional 20-plus states are considering similar legislation, and they include Oregon and Colorado, both of which have a GMO labeling measure on the November ballot. <coughs> Consumer groups and pro-labeling lawmakers say that the jury is far from decided on the health and safety of GMOs, uh, contrary to what anti-labeling forces have said, and as such, shoppers have the right to know what GMOs are and if they are in the foods that they are buying. These groups also noted that accelerated pesticide use with its associated with GM crops, as well as pesticide residue on foods containing GMOs, are also health concerns. And just last year, a group of respected international scientists called for more independent research on GMOs. So, you know, folks, GMOs are dangerous, but these goddamn food companies and these damn, um, uh, you know, uh, legislators and federal legislators don't, uh, don't want you to have it. Now, Lila, Lila is pretty smart when it comes to this, I and mean, she's she's she doesn't trust anything mm-hmm. that uh, that is low fat or fat free, you know, no. these foods. And because it's uh, just another processing. Yep, and, and it burns out the food. Well, uh, Monsanto, uh, anti-Monsanto group, uh, and it's from RealPharmacy.com, um, from the pharmacy, uh, it says. Uh, Whenever you see the words low-fat or fat-free, think of the words chemical shitstorm. <laughs> that's, that's pretty graphic, it. isn't it? That's pretty graphic. Well, that's basically well I have got. to kind of agree with that. Yep, that's basically what you got. 
you know, anything that's, I mean, fat-free is, uh, you know, probably, I mean, anything that should have fat in it but is, is, but is taken out, okay, it means it's been processed. And being processed obviously means it's, you know, not good for you. Let's see. Uh, our friend Dane uh, Wigginton and uh, Chemical Engineering Cover-Up uh, uh, uh has this article. It's called The Condition Conformity of the American Population. Now, the geoengineeringwatch.org is a group that is devoted to <coughs> exposing and stopping chemtrail, right? Oh. Geoengineering, mm-hmm. or Scott. Um, well, John's been at that, exposing it for how long? Since oh, years, 10, 15 years. And Andy? Yeah, I mean, and us. And we, you know, so many people. But Dane is a, uh, a national, he's getting national a national movement. He's getting a lot of attention for it and working hard. And they've been doing it for years. And he's out in California, but, you know, he's, he's uh, you know, he's making moves. He's making, he's making it known. Let, let's just uh, read this. It's not that terribly long. But it's, it's, uh, the obvious glaring lies that the majority of Americans are willing to accept in order to maintain their bubble of total denial is absolutely astounding. Yeah, well, that's probably true. Huh? So, yeah. So there is nearly endless list of past U.S. government and media deceptions that are now a matter of historical fact. This seems to matter little to the masses. Many are beginning to sense that the world is horribly off track, but most are still stuck in their normalcy bias. Though it is not in our power to force people awake, we can deliver the truth with confidence, not timidity and trepidation. That was by, written by Dane Wiginton. America is a state of denial. It's in a state of denial. Freedom and family are Facebook and Farmville. The great talent. And he says, Yesterday, I showed a close friend in short video, the short video created by the uh, architects and engineers for 9-11, Truth, concerning the suspicious evidence surrounding Building 7 at the World Trade Center. Her first response was, why haven't I seen this information on Fox News? My response to her was that our media is totally and completely controlled by an elite that represents us with non-issues so that we are distracted and thus do not pursue the issues that are critical to our health, freedom, family, and friends and country. Why we are discussing the efficacy of Iran um, processing one of our coveted drones, uh, possessing a coveted drone. They are raining chemicals down on us daily in a cocktail of toxic chemicals designed to manipulate weather and contaminate soils. Depopulation is merely a secondary objective, as stated in many of the writings of the psychopathic elite. As a means of escaping reality, many Americans have fled to the comfort of Facebook and Farmville, while their children and family are systematically poisoned and dumbed down with aluminum, barium, strontium, and arsenic in the air, sodium fluoride in the water, and mercury-laced vaccines in the bloodstream. Why the hell aren't we protesting vehemently? Why are we so apathetic that we will watch our own uh, progeny be poisoned and take no action? Why do we deny what is so painfully obvious to any rational and thinking human being? Why? Don't we take the time to research the issues that affect our fellow man and future of the once great nation? Why do we limit our own actions based on the opinions of the ignorant majority as opposed to the enlightened minority? The answer of these questions to these questions lies in the genius of the social engineers. They have studied human behavior and they know exactly what makes us tick. They know that humans are naturally going to take the easy way out, so they provide us with Facebook, Farmville, and phone apps as legitimate alternatives to history, physics, and reasoning. Critical thinking is discouraged, as this might embolden the populace to overthrow the scientific dictatorship they are hell-bent on creating. Because humans normally seek the approval of their peers, 
any thinking that differs from the state's official version of history is to be labeled conspiratorial and not to be believed because they know the selfish nature of man. They create products that appeal to our vanity and need to accept, need for acceptance. And because they know that there is a war on for that, what occupies our minds, they give us an unending smorgasbord of mind-numbing sports that make heroes out of high school dropouts. This is the sad state of affairs we are currently supporting by the actions we are taking, we take on a daily basis. Through our purchase decisions, we are contributing to our own destruction. Through our lack of interest in anything that really matters, we ensure the slavery of future generations will be forced to placate the new world order. We must educate ourselves and encourage our children to read and understand the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. We must show them by example that it is our patriotic duty to fight tyranny and hold freedom dear. We must teach them to think and reason on their own and limit their exposure to the indoctrinating force that is the mainstream media. We must have the courage to reach out to our fellow men and educate them so that they have a positive effect on their own circle of influence. And while the controllers toil to remove every shred of humanity from our nature and turn us into animals, we must constantly remind ourselves of our duty to pursue the truth and respect and elevate humanity. When the people fear the government, there is tyranny. When the government fears the people, there is liberty. And whenever the people are well informed, they can be trusted with their they can be trusted with their own government. That was written by Thomas Jefferson there. And uh, you know, it's really, really critical to understand this. If you want to go to more information, and also uh, I, I highly recommend this this uh, um, this uh, Geo Engineering Watch Radio. All right, um, they do a show almost every couple of days or every day, uh, and they talk about these things. They talk about uh, um, Geo Engineering, and it's the Geo Engineering Watch dot org. Okay, and you can go to that and. Uh, I don't know, Lila, do you have anything else you'd like to say tonight? No, I oh, okay. don't have much at all. No. It's just it's very discouraging with all of this. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, no, it really is. Um, I was going to play this article, but um, to play this thing, but I don't know if I will now. I, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't, there's a lot of things I just don't like, but there's not much you can do about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know, I thought this was kind of interesting because as much as people dislike Fox News, all right, I dislike all the news, all right, but ABC, CBS, NBC, CNN, and MSNBC censored this story, and the only people that the only people that put it on the air, all right, was Fox News, all right, and the insiders come forward. Proof of the Benghazi stand-down order was Obama. All right, so I, I wanted to play this. It's a, it's about a six-minute video. We could play it out tonight. Uh, and uh, but, uh, yeah. the insiders come forward. Uh, proof of Benghazi stand-down. Before it was believed there was a stand-down order from Obama. Breaking news now on the deadly terror attack on the U.S. consulate in Libya. Fox News sources telling us CIA officers on the ground in Benghazi during the attack sent requests for help but were denied. When the first shots were heard at the consulate where the ambassador and his team were taking fire, I'm told that they radioed to their higher headquarters that they wanted permission to go and help the ambassador, to help the ambassador's team. At that time, they were told by their higher-ups to, quote, stand down. They were again, for a second time, told to stand down. They ignored those orders. They made their way over to the consulate against orders. They helped rescue those who had survived at the consulate. They could not find the ambassador. That sources in Benghazi who were involved in the attack say that no 
gunships were sent, no help was sent, even though the fighting at the CIA annex went on for more than four hours. Uh, one of the team was on the roof with a laser pointer with eyes on the mortar attack team, the Libyan mortar, sh the people who were shelling. That laser could have helped guide in any Spectre gunship or any other form of military help if it had been sent. As long as people have lied about this for two years now. What happened initially was that it was a spontaneous uh, reaction to what had just transpired in Cairo uh, as a consequence of the video that uh, people gathered outside the embassy, and then it, it grew very violent. All right, that moment was from Fox News Sunday, one of five Sunday news shows that she went on to say that the attack was not premeditated, but it stemmed instead from protests against that anti-Islam film. Well, one month later, Ambassador Royce pointed a finger at the intelligence community talking points for the faulty narrative. Then, by the end of November, that's two and a half months later, Ambassador Royce met with Republican senators and acknowledged that there was no protest or demonstration in Benghazi. And were they denied requests for help during the attack? Well, we are, we are finding out exactly what happened. I can tell you, as I've said uh, over the last uh, uh, couple of months since this happened, that the minute I found out, found out what was going on, I gave three very clear directives. Number one, make sure that we are securing our personnel and doing whatever we need to. Number two, we're going to investigate exactly what happened to make sure it doesn't happen again. Number three, find out who did this so we can bring them to justice. And, you know, I guarantee you that everybody in the State Department, our military, uh, CIA, you name it, uh, had number one priority making sure that uh, people were safe. These are our folks, uh, and we're going to find out exactly what happened. Uh, but what we're also going to do is make sure that uh, we are... Well, that was those are Fox's Isles and Gaza came forward. Uh, the Fox News was interviewed. This just happened last week. We're taking fire. We're under fire. And you hear the pleading in their voices that they need help bad. Thirteen hours of Benghazi, the inside story. So what'd you tell them? Me and my bluntness. I said, you know, if you guys get attacked, you guys are going to die. You know that, right? And I remember I said, uh, if you ever need us, just call us, we'll come get you. And stream onto the compound, bearing AK-47s, chanting in Arabic, shooting off their guns. Thumbs up, thumbs up, ready to go. Then what happened? I went to the TL, and I said, hey, we're ready to go. Bob looks right through me, and he looks at the team leader and goes, you guys need to wait. Probably been 15 minutes, I think, and I got out of the car, and Bob and uh, the team lead were standing on the front porch, and I just said, hey, you know, we got we need to get over there. We're losing the initiative, you know. And Bob just looked straight at me and said, stand down. You need to wait. We're taking fire. We need you guys here. We need help. Yeah, we were talking about it in the car. Uh, on a red, what the hell is going on? Why are we waiting? Committee's wording was, quote, there was no stand-down order given to American personnel attempting to offer assistance that evening. So what do you say to that? I know it happened. It happened. On the ground, all I can talk about is what happened on the ground that night to you, to us, to myself twice, and to, to Tig once. It happened that night. That happened. We were told to wait stand, and stand down. We were delayed three times. Looked at Verone. He gave me a thumbs up. I gave him a thumbs up, and we left. You guys did that pretty much on your own. Yes, we, we did. We were never given the okay to go. We got the final straw for us to go, at least that's my opinion, and how I felt was, where one of the DF agents said, hey, they're starting to light the buildings on fire. You guys need to get here. Is there a part of you guys that looked at that combo and said, where, where was that? Where was that before? Yes. I mean, I did. Like, where the, where the hell were these guys? Where, where were they? Hours ago. Exactly. I can't speak for why a politician did this or why a politician did that. All I can speak for is what we went through that night and what happened. I gave you that 30 minutes back. And I gave you some air power. Would Ambassador Stevens and Sean Smith be alive today? Yes. Uh, to me, if without the delay, they would still be alive. Mm -hmm. I got this. Yes. You in on that? I, I strongly believe if we'd have left immediately, they'd still be alive today. 